music. You need to be back here tonight at 6 o'clock. That family, the York family, are going to do an entire concert for us at 6 o'clock tonight. So you'll want to come back and enjoy more of their fabulous music as we worship God through their music. Well, here it is. It's Father's Day. Isn't it a great day to be in the house of the Lord? Great day to worship God and to be here in his presence. You know, something interesting, though, that I've learned in the last four years that we've been here at Grace Point, a number of people said, you know, we really like to come to church on Mother's Day. And there's a lot of ladies that say, I'm not so sure I like to come on Father's Day. And that's kind of a sad thing, I think, a little bit of a sad commentary on life and and on our world and, and where we have come to. Unfortunately, men have become a little bit more absent in our world. But today we're going to come and we're going to be together. And we're going to learn what it means to be a spirit-filled man of God. And women, just so you know, you can listen in a little bit too. Because I think it has to relate to all of us. But you see, you probably would not be shocked to learn that more women attend church than men. On an average Sunday, 60% of the people that are in church are women and 40% are men. In the United States today, if you did a survey of people going to church, 36% of men go to church. And actually, if you are a blue-collar worker, that number drops to 21%. The number continues to decline, and in our black churches today, only 20% of black men are attending church. And that number for everybody across the board is on a major, major decline. Now, there are a number of reasons for this. There are a number of factors that are at work in our world today as to why men are not attending church. There was a new book that was recently published. I read some information from it. It's a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church by David Murrow. Now, one of the reasons he says that that men don't really like to go to church too much, just one of them, is he says that we have made the church too pretty. He said we've really girlied it up. It's all frou-frou up here, all the little flowers and everything we decorate. And he says we kind of make them a little bit too pretty for the guys. And now, case in point, I just checked this out. We um, We had a little video that began the service this morning on Father's Day. And I have to confess to you, I picked out that video. Thought it was a nice, sweet, gentle video about fathers and Father's Day. But while I was in the office this week, I showed another video to some of the other pastoral staff, who all happened to be men, and I said, what do you think of this one? And they go, oh yeah, this is a good one. So just in honor of you guys, so that everything isn't too pretty and, and girly, here's your second Father's Day video of the morning. often question him just because they find him interesting. He once counted to infinity, twice. His picture is worth a billion words. He is both left-handed and right-handed. It only takes him 20 minutes to watch 60 minutes. He can't judge a book by its cover. He uses Tabasco sauce instead of Bicino. He can speak Braille. He once beat up the man who invented what. He once overthrew a third world dictator by making a single phone call. His barbecue ribs are so good, he was given a Nobel Peace Prize. People come from miles around just to watch his beard grow. He was turned down for the lead in Cool Hand Luke. 
because he was too cool. He never asked for directions because he is never lost. He had to walk to school, uphill both ways in the snow, barefoot. There is no loofah in his shower. He uses an SOS pack. He has had a full-time job since he was two. He is not afraid of the dark. The dark is afraid of him. His favorite food is steak. Sometimes he even puts it. He won the Pulitzer for a grocery list he scribbled out on a napkin. He once was named Man of the Year on January 11th. He does not lift weights. He cannot find any that are heavy enough. He knows what to do with a Klondike bar. He is the most amazing man alive. He is your father. Happy Father's Day, my friends. <laughs> so, men, I hope you feel welcome this morning. We are glad to have you here in the worship service with us this morning. We are going to take a few moments to look at a scripture from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 42 will be our scripture of the morning. Starting with Acts 2:37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I want us to take a moment this morning, and I want us to look over this scripture in a little bit more detail. To take a little bit of time to see what it was that was truly happening. You see, the apostles of Jesus Christ, the followers of Christ, had been in the upper room. They had been praying since Jesus had told them to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. There they were, they had been praying up there for ten days in the upper room. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those people. They were so filled with God's Holy Spirit that they emerged from that room and they were never, ever the same again. Peter gets up and he preaches this sermon, but not only Peter, every other person who had been in that room comes out and begins to testify. They are so filled with God's Holy Presence. They are so excited about God's Holy Spirit. And the people around them are simply amazed. And it's in verse 37 that we discover that the people in the crowd, the men in the crowd, come up with this question. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? These men, the people of the community, they were overwhelmed by what they were experiencing. They were seeing people that they had known be completely transformed, and they were absolutely humbled by their witness. Suddenly, the incredible presence of God's Holy Spirit was right there with them. And they were so humbled that they came to the point that they said, Peter, what are we supposed to do? This is beyond our comprehension. 
You see, what we can learn from them is that we have to come to a point where we need to be willing to ask for help. You know, guys, let's be honest. You don't really like asking for help, do you? I was pretty amazed this week. My husband bought a new shop back, and I went out in the garage, and he was actually reading the directions. That's about the first time, yeah, first time in our married life that I think I've actually seen him reading the directions on how to put something together. Generally, he just goes at it, you know. And then we don't like to ask, what am I supposed to do? But this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Those men were willing to humble themselves and get to that point of saying, what in the world are we supposed to do? We tend to be self-reliant. Let me tell you a story about a number of years ago. It was a young Swedish immigrant. His name was Emil, and he had met this young girl from Denmark and married her. And this young couple was living out in the prairies of Nebraska out on a homestead. And they had built a little home out there. And one day they're out there with their family. They had nine children that survived to adulthood, and they're living in their little homestead. And a terrible rainstorm comes out there across those plains, and their house is struck by lightning. Their house catches on fire, and in that moment, they begin to grab every piece of their personal belongings and drag them out into the rain. And as they watch their house that they have built with their own hands burn to the ground, the wife looks at the husband and says, Papa, we need to start reading the word again, don't we? And Emil looks at her and says, yes, Anna, we need to be reading the word. And she looks at him and she says, Papa... We haven't been going to church. We need to hitch the horses on Sunday, and and we need to start going back to church every Sunday, don't we? And he said, yes, Mama, we do. And that day, my great-grandfather, Emil, humbled himself, realizing that he could lose everything he had built with his own hands in a moment, and he needed to depend upon God. And from that day on, they became a family that worshipped God. They hitched their horses on Sundays, and, and they went to church. And out of those children, Harvey became a preacher in the Methodist church, and so did Arthur. Charlie became a Nazarene minister. And Aunt Engel, she went off and spent her whole life in Africa telling others about Jesus Christ. And today, numerous grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren are serving Jesus Christ because great-grandpa Emil humbled himself. said, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to church and I'm going to worship God. You see, dads, does it really matter whether you go to church or not? You may not think that it really does, but in the same book, Murrow quotes statistics demonstrating how important male church attendance is to a family. You see, ladies, we've been standing in the gap. When the men don't come, the ladies are coming and you're bringing your kids and all of that. It is so vital, it is so important, but statistics tell us that when mom brings the kids to church, only 17% of the family is going to follow. Dads? When you come to church, 97% of the time your family is going to follow and is going to go to church. Dads, we desperately need you to be spirit-filled men of God who will stand up and say, I'm going to follow, I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. And I would ask you today, maybe you can join those men who on the day of Pentecost said, what? Should we do?
And Peter responded to them. And in verse 38, he tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. You know, too often we think that our decisions are just about us. And that there are no consequences to others for the decisions that we make. But I ask this question, what would have happened that day if great-grandpa Emil would have decided not to go back to church? Somehow I'm not even sure I would be here today. For there are long-lasting consequences to the decisions that we make. And when we make those decisions, we're not just making them for us. We are making them for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. The promise is for you, fathers, men, and for those who will come after us. You see, there are little eyes that are watching you all the time. Little eyes watching you and wondering what you're up to. Kara, I'm sure you love this picture this morning, don't you? This was Kara a number of years ago. And one day in our apartment in Moscow, I I see Kara standing by the mirror. And she's gotten her dad's comb out. And she's gotten it all wet. And she's combing her bangs over like this. And wetting them all the way down. And then she's getting her baseball cap on just right. I said, Kara, what are you doing? And she said, I want to be just like dad. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, she loved her daddy, and she still does. And when she was little, she wanted to grow up and be just like him. We used to wonder if she would ever outgrow the tomboy stage. We're glad you have, Kara. We're glad you've (laughs) gotten past that. But she used to watch him all the time. She wanted to be just like him. And you know, so often you think maybe you're hiding things from your kids. You're not hiding anything from them. They see what you are doing from early morning until late at night, and they want to grow up, and they want to be just like you. Verse 40 says, And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. I think those words are interesting. Obviously, there was a lot of corruption going on in that day and age. But think about today, people. We need an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit as on the day of Pentecost. And we need to be willing to say we need to be saved from this corrupt generation. Our world is incredibly corrupt today. And it is so corrupt and manipulative that our world would like us to believe that what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. And it's getting so twisted around that for someone to stand up for the faith is becoming more and more difficult. Let us be saved from this corrupt generation. Let God take us away from the patterns of the world. Verse 41 says, so those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 accepted the message of Jesus Christ and were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was a few weeks ago that Pastor Chuck was preaching his message on Pentecost. And then the message was, after Pentecost, now what? And I would like to continue that theme of thought today. It's after Pentecost. Now what? But what does it look like to be a spirit-filled man of God? 
And I'm not just talking to the dads today, every one of you men. What does it look like to be a spirit-filled man of God? In verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. This is the lifestyle that they adopted. This is what happened after they were filled with God's Holy Spirit. This is what it meant to be a spirit-filled man of God. First of all, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Dad, let me ask you this question. Would your children say that you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching? Is it something that they would see in your life? When I was a child, my parents were missionaries in Germany. And all the years that we lived there, my father struggled with the German language. It was never easy for him, and he would work on it day and night. I know when he was learning German, he used to even have a tape recorder play under his pillow at night, hoping that it would just get into his brain. It was tough on him. But I do know this. I know that my dad had an English Bible, and my dad had a German Bible. And when I was a kid, I could tell that both of those Bibles were well-worn. My father was devoted to the apostles' teaching, and I knew it. Every morning, as children, we would get up and we would have family devotions before we went out the door. We read the Eggermeyer's Bible Story Book. I don't know if any of the rest of you did. That book's actually been around since 1923. They just keep reprinting it. So it's been around for a long time. Every morning we read a story from the Eggemeyer's Bible story book and we would have prayer together as a family. We read that book so many times that the pages all just began to fall out of it. But we devoted ourselves to that. It was part of our family's teaching. When we moved to America, our lifestyles changed. Everything became a lot faster and everybody had all these places to go on Sundays and, I mean, every day of the week and it was tough. And I remember we weren't having our family devotions every day. And one day my parents got all four of us kids together and they said, we cannot go on like this. We have to have family devotions together. And so every one of us, we're going to get up 30 minutes earlier every morning of the week so that we can have breakfast and family devotions together. For we will not go without it. And every one of us, we changed our daily lifestyle, our daily schedule, and we got up so that we could be devoted to the apostles' teaching. After we had lived in California for just 13 months, my parents were called to another church. Now, that's a very, very short period of time to pastor a church, and it's not normal to make a change in that amount of time. And my parents didn't want to make that change, and yet somehow they felt that God was impressing upon them that they were supposed to go on to this other church, and and they were struggling with that. And I remember the day that my dad went off to the church office, and I know that he must have spent the entire day probably in prayer and reading God's Word and asking for his guidance as to what he was supposed to do. That night, my dad came home, and he sat down with my mom, and and he said, I've got to tell you what happened to me today. He said, there in the church office as I was praying, he said, God led me to this scripture in the book of Isaiah. And he said, this scripture seemed to be saying to me, you're supposed to go on. I want you to go on to that other church. And my mother just began to weep. For my mother had been in prayer all day long. And God had shown her the exact same scripture. And she had prayed and asked God that if this was his doing, 
that God would show my father the same thing. My parents devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to knowing God's word. It also tells us that those early spirit-filled believers devoted themselves to fellowship. Murrow tells us in his book that one reason that men don't want to come to church is because they want to have guys to hang out with. They want to have buddies. And that we in the church are not very good at providing that fellowship for men. We just don't do it very well, men. We're not really good about hanging out with one another. And yet, if we're going to help bring another generation along to know Jesus Christ, men, you've got to invest yourself in other men here in the church. You men of God that have been walking with Him for a long time, you need to look around the sanctuary and you need to look and say, I don't know that young man. Maybe I need to be spending time with him. Maybe I need to help him to be growing up in the Lord. We need you all to be connected or we're going to lose you. Men, over a hundred of you signed up to come to tea time. For 14 weeks you showed up here at 6.30 in the morning to learn more about a deeper walk with Jesus Christ and to pray. But men, I want to challenge you today. It cannot end with tea time. The challenge at the end of tea time was, would you be willing to sign up for a one-on-one relationship and mentoring with a man or to be part of a small group? If you haven't signed up for that, if you haven't bought into that, that's what we desperately need. We need you to be willing to go on to that next step. To be willing to be a part of that. Because men have got to be devoted to the fellowship. Statistically, they tell us that when a wife passes away, a man will die within a short period of time because they are not really good about social relationships. It's generally the women in their lives that keep them connected socially to others. Men, I know that this is out of your comfort zone. But you have to be devoted to the fellowship. It is part of a spiritual discipline to connect yourselves and to be with other people. It also says that these men were devoted to the breaking of bread. And a couple weeks ago when Pastor Chuck preached about this, he said, you know, we aren't sure whether it was about them eating with one another in homes or was it about them having communion together. I'd like to say that it was probably both. That people were having huge potluck dinners, maybe at church, or maybe in people's homes, but at the end of those meals, that they would celebrate the Lord's Supper together. You see, these early believers were so excited about what Jesus had done in their lives that there was no separation between their daily lives and their Christian walk. It was all united together. And everybody could tell, if you were at my house for dinner... You knew that I was a believer because at the end of that meal, we were going to celebrate Jesus Christ. And I ask you this question. If you invited a guest to come and to stay in your home for a week, and they saw what happened in your house every week, would they discover that there's a separation between your Christian life and your ordinary life? Or would it be so mixed together that they would know that you are a believer 24-7? What does your life look like? Is it separate? Well, I come to church on Sunday and then I do whatever I want throughout the week. If somebody were watching you, would they ever see you have devotions? 
What might they think about what you watch on television or how you spend your time? They were devoted to this breaking of bread. They were devoted to their lives being 24-7 about Jesus Christ. And finally, they were devoted to prayer. We've been talking a lot about prayer here at Grace Point. And this is not an afterthought, people. Prayer is the bottom, the foundation of everything that needs to happen. And dads, let me tell you this. Let me tell everybody this. You will never have a deep Christian walk if you only spend five minutes a day in your devotional life. It isn't going to happen. And I know we are all busy and we have so much to do, but if you do not make prayer and spending time with Jesus Christ a priority, you will not be growing where you need to grow spiritually. No, it's not easy in today's day and age. We all have too much to do. I know that. But that's the devil's trick because he's going to squeeze Jesus Christ right out of your life. You've got to figure out how to devote yourselves to prayer. One of our dear friends is a farmer in the Dakotas. And this man is one of the most godly men I've ever met. One of these men of prayer like you cannot imagine. He spends all day out there in his tractors and his combines talking with God. And he talks to God about everything. And one year he talked to God and he said, Now, God, what am I supposed to plant in this field? I mean, he and the Lord are very tight. (laughs) And the Lord told him, Plant corn in that field. And he thought, Plant corn? That doesn't even make sense to plant corn there, but he planted corn. He planted corn in that field, and at the end of the season, there were no buyers for any of the corn. As a matter of fact, he was quite discouraged. He did not even harvest the corn. He just left it out in the field. Why spend the money to harvest it if I can't sell it? He thought, Lord, what have I done? Spent all this money, planted all this corn. Winter came, and it was a really bad winter that year. Snow fell heavily, and suddenly many of the cattle ranchers had no feed for their cattle. And I don't know how all this works, but all of a sudden he said people were sending me their cattle. And the cattle came to his farm and would actually just graze out on those cornfields and just eat the corn that was out there. And they kept paying him and paying him and paying him to cows the cattle. So by the end of the winter, he had recouped more than enough off of the field because he had planted the corn on the field. He said, okay, God, I get it. You wanted me to plant corn. But it gets even better. In the spring, he got ready to plant again. He says, Lord, what am I supposed to plant? And he got a letter from the government. The government says, we do not want people to plant corn this year. And if you have proof that you have planted corn on a field in the last five years, we will pay you to not grow any crop on that field. So the government paid him for years not to grow anything on that field, simply because corn had been on it one year. That man donates thousands of dollars every year to plant churches over in Russia. He has blessed those fields and said, God, they are yours, and you can do with them what you like. But he's a man of prayer. And let me tell you something. When you spend time in prayer, you are the one who is changed. And I hate to tell you this, but but I can even tell when Chuck hasn't been spending as much time with the Lord in prayer when he gets busy. You see a change in his personality. I do. I can tell. And you know, when you start spending that time with Jesus, there's a sensitivity that develops in your heart and your soul. And dads, I want to talk to you a minute as a daughter. 
A girl's self-image is almost totally wrapped up in what her dad thinks about her. And little girls and big girls are waiting around and hoping that their dad tells them that they love them. And we're hoping to hear dad say, man, I'm proud of you. We almost crave for that attention from dads. And what I've noticed is when a dad spends more time with Jesus, he does a better job of expressing that to his children. And dads, when you're not spending that time with Jesus, then sometimes those little ones just go unnoticed. Or they're just a bother. Or sometimes we say a phrase that we don't think will affect them and it bothers them forever. Spend time with Jesus. Let him change you into the man of God that he so desperately wants you to be. Finally, today, let me just put a little P.S. on here. Can I talk to you women a minute? Women... We have been through a lot in the last hundred years. The suffrage movement, which is up on that screen, the women wanting to vote. And that led us to a lot of things, including all the feminist movement. And there's some good there and there's some bad there at the same time. But women, we have become guilty of cutting our men down and not allowing the men to be the spirit-filled men of God that we need them to be. I used to travel a lot over in Russia, and when I would get on a plane, and I would often have my carry-on, and I'd try and hoist it up into the overhead bin, and I hate doing that. And um, usually over there, a man would always pick up my bag and put it up for me, and I was always grateful for that. I have noticed since I come back to America, a man wouldn't dare touch my bag. You know why? They're afraid I'm going to bite his head off if he picks up my bag. And that's... (laughs) Some of you have experienced that. But why do we need to be that way? I would love to have a man put my bag up for me. You see, God created us, men and women, differently. And we each have our own place to play and our own roles to play. And women, we desperately need our men. And we desperately need our men to be men. So stop putting them down. Stop making little comments that make them feel stupid. That's not our place in life. Help our men to be spirit-filled men of God that God has called them to be. And may we all be the people of prayer that he's called us to be. I feel like I am blessed in my family to have a heritage of a family that has prayed. My grandfather was Charlie Amel's son. He became a Nazarene pastor and he pastored in Nebraska for over 50 years. And the thing I remember most about Grandpa Johnson was that he knew how to pray. Whenever we went to visit him, he was very elderly by the time I could visit him very much. He couldn't really get out. He couldn't do a lot. And so he said, well, I believe God has just called me to pray. And we would sit in his house and he would begin to pray. And I always thought, man, that guy has got a direct line to heaven. Because when he prayed, it was heaven came down. It was incredible. He just spent time in God's holy presence. When he was 93, he got pneumonia, thought he was going to die. And he was so excited because he wanted to see Jesus. And he didn't die, and he was bummed. And uh, he said, I guess i got to stay and pray a little bit longer. And he prayed for two more years, and God took him home when he was 95. 
We must be devoted to prayer. We must become these spirit-filled people of God that he wants us to be. And in closing this morning, men, I would like to invite you to come and either kneel or stand around the altar, all of you, if you would. We would like to pray a prayer of blessing upon all of you men. Would you mind coming at this time? Men, stand up. Come on down here. All of the men who are here today, not just fathers, all the men who are here, come on down a minute. Come and kneel at this altar. Stand around this altar. Would you do that? Come and gather. Young men, right here, youth group, you count. Young guys, come on down here. I sit, all the guys, come on down. Come on down a minute. Come on down here. And then, women, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I just want you to pray, because I want you women to help pray a blessing over our men. Just You can even put your hands up and pray a blessing over them. And let's pray together. Our dear, sweet, heavenly Father, the Father of all fathers, thank you for your incredible love for us and for what you have done for us on that cross. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit and that transforming power that you offer to every one of us. And Father, today we ask for your blessing upon our men, every one of them, Lord. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon them as on the day of Pentecost? Lord, would you fill these men with your Holy Spirit and transform them into the Spirit-filled men of God that our world desperately needs? Lord, we ask your blessing upon them. Come, fill them with your Holy Spirit. And may you be glorified. And may they rise up as men of God. May they be done with the lesser things. And may they have their eyes only on Jesus Christ day after day. And may you be glorified, Lord, in your precious and holy name. In your name we pray. Amen. And men, may the God of peace bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. God bless you this day as you celebrate Father's Day. May you be a spirit-filled man of God. Go in his peace. Amen. Amen.